Hi everyone, I'm Anne and you're listening to Prevent Resist Support. I've got your back, my dear, and I know that you've got mine. I feel that hope and fear, but I know we'll hold the line. So keep your head up, keep your hand out when your breath is feeling short. Welcome everyone. So I'm Anne Radzinski and this is Prevent Resist Support, a podcast by the Office of Sexual Violence, Prevention, Resistance, and Support at the University of Windsor. And this is episode one of season two, which is really exciting. We've been doing this podcast for some time now and we're super excited to be bringing even more episodes to you this semester. Today, I am interviewing Dr. Frances Cachone from the Bystander Initiative, and we're going to be talking about bystander stories. So she's going to be sharing some of her bystander stories, and I'm going to be sharing some of mine, and we're going to chat through them in relation to our Bystander Initiative workshop. So if you're interested in taking a bystander workshop, I can only highly recommend it. It's a three-hour workshop about bystander intervention where you get a whole bunch of tools for how to intervene in the moment to prevent sexual violence or any of the things that are a part of the larger umbrella of sexual violence. So stuff from you know, catcalling, um, jokes that aren't funny, all the way up to sexual assault. Uh, and if you'd like to register, workshops are listed now up until October 8th, and you can find that on My Success, which is success.uwindsor.ca. As always, I just want to give the self-care reminder, we are going to be talking about sexual violence in our episode today. And so if you need support and you're a member of our UWindsor campus community, you can check out our brand new website, which is uwindsor.ca slash prevent dash resist dash support. Uh, and you can find all of our support information on there, or you can email us at svsupport at uwindsor.ca. So SV like sexual violence support at uwindsor.ca. That's our email address. And if you're not a member of our uwindsor community, you can check out the Coalition of Rape Crisis Centers. Their website is sexualassaultsupport.ca. So there's lots of support options both on and off campus for you. Also always want to remind you folks that an accessible transcript of our episode is available in our episode description and on our website. And if you would like to find any of the links to the things we talk about, I will make sure that those are in our episode description as well. So let's get into our chat with Frankie. All right, so today we have Frankie here from the Bystander Initiative. And today we're gonna tell bystander stories and talk about them. Welcome, Frankie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Frankie, can you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you get into this work and what are you doing right now? So my formal training is in sociology. I am a sociologist by training, a feminist sociologist with a specialization in social justice. And I was working in the area of youth-led social change and employing feminist pedagogy to create capacity building among students to cultivate positive social change. So that aligned well with the goals of the Bystander Initiative. And I started teaching and from there just became part of the team. That's awesome. And we're gonna talk about the Bystander Initiative at the end of our chat today. Um, but first, I think, Frankie, you wanted to tell us one of the most well-known bystander intervention stories. 
Yeah, so usually when people think of bystander intervention, what comes to mind is direct intervention in a highly visible harmful behavior. So one of the most common bystander intervention stories that come to mind for people is often the case of Brock Turner and his rape of Chanel Miller, because it was an obvious incident of sexual violence where two international students intervened directly. Um, they called the police, they stayed with Chanel Miller until emergency support came, and they actually held Brock Turner down as well. So for many people, this form of bystander intervention is what comes to mind when they think of uh, intervening to prevent harmful or to disrupt harmful behavior. Yeah, I mean, I remember hearing about this story when it happened. And I remember we've used it in a bunch of different bystander related trainings at the different schools that I've worked at. Um, and I think one of the things that stands out to me is that this is a story about a stranger. Right. Like this is a story about like somebody who was not known to the target of the harm that he was causing and a story where these, you know, these kind of strangers intervened in an assault that was in progress. Is that typically what we see for bystander intervention? No, I think that it is unique. It's rather unique because we know that um, in anonymous settings, what tends to happen is a diffusion of responsibility and people do not step up and intervene um, for various reasons. There's many barriers to intervention. And so this is a profound example in the and the ability that they had to take ownership of being the people who would help and to assist Chanel Miller. And I know she very much credits them for um, interrupting and getting her the help she needed at that time, which was obviously a very traumatic and harmful experience. Um, so it is quite rare, but it's also important for us to note that this type of bystander intervention is not actually what most bystander intervention is needed or the type of bystander intervention that mostly is what we're called to do. Most of our work is actually at the, what we call the low end of the continuum, the everyday harmful conduct, comments, attitudes that enable escalating violence to occur within our culture. Yeah, so I think on that note, we're gonna tell some stories of some bystander situations that we've been in today. Um, and then we can chat about, you know, what those look like, what they felt like at the time, um, and, and, you know, what it tells us about bystander intervention. And hopefully it will interest folks in taking the bystander workshop because those are currently running. Um, and we're very excited to be, you know, to be hosting those even though we're virtual this year. Um, so I was gonna tell the story that I used to tell when I was a facilitator in the workshop. Um, and it was a story that made me realize that I really was not a person who ever wanted to get involved in things. Like I was very like, not my business, I'm not getting involved. Um, and so my story takes place at Milk Coffee Bar, which I don't know if you remember Milk, Frankie. I do. So, it's so sad that it's not open anymore, but I used to love Milk and I had a friend um, who was a singer songwriter and she used to perform there a lot and I would watch the door for her. And um, we were there one night and she was performing and her sisters were there and this guy came in and he was very drunk and he was being really disruptive. And I was so annoyed at him. I was like, oh, you're interrupting my friend's show. Um, I wasn't sure whether or not we should try to like remove him from the space or like what we should do, but he ended up leaving on his own. And he went outside and kind of like slumped up against the wall and actually passed out. 
And my friend's sister is like just an excellent bystander. She's just like the best human and gets involved and just does good things all the time. And so she went outside to check on him and tried to call somebody from his phone to come get him. Um, and nobody was able to come get him. And so we ended up having to call an ambulance. And I believe that he did have to go to the hospital because I think he had alcohol poisoning. Um, and so it was just one of those moments where I was like, I really should have done something, you know, like at the time I was just like, I don't want to get involved in this. Like, this isn't my business. This guy's being disruptive. I don't want to have like a messy night. Like I'm just, I'm here to support my friend. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to do this thing. And then like when she got involved, I was like, oh dang, like this guy really needed help. And I wish that I was the kind of person who got involved in those things. And that was one of those moments when I really started to think about, you know, intervening. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, first of all, one of the things we always emphasize in our program is that when we know better, we do better. And if intervention was natural and it was our go-to, we wouldn't need bystander training to really enable our bystander intervention. But the reality is there is a multitude of factors that act as barriers to prevention. And one of them is that we have to practice. We have to develop strategies and we have to uh, recognize the situation calls on us and feel empowered and enabled to feel like we can have a meaningful impact. So. I'm glad the experience ended up being positive for you because it led you to seek out programs that could build your capacity to be an activated and effective bystander. But again, there's many, many reasons why we don't intervene. And that's why we're really working hard to build the capacity of our community to develop bystander skills, to uh, intervene and to be effective at um, addressing harmful behavior or supporting those who may need support. Yeah, 100%. I've like thought about that so many times because I used to tell it every time I taught a bystander workshop when I was in undergrad and, you know, I was teaching quite a few at that time. So um, I haven't told my friend's sister yet that it had such a big impact on me. And I think I'm going to see her at my friend's wedding um, in the future. And so I might track her down and be like, hey, I just want you to know this was really impactful for me. Um, and it also yeah. reminds me of what we know with from the literature, which tells us that role modeling is very, very important in terms of the development of our bystander skills. I think many of us are um, very fortunate to know individuals who role model that effective activated uh, bystander uh, intervention. And we know that once we witness other people engage in that effective role modeling, we're far more likely to be activated and to think that is something I can do as well. So yes, role models are so important and I'm glad that she had that effect on you. Yeah. Um, okay, so then I think you had a story you were gonna tell me and I love this story because you told it to me when we were planning this episode and I think it was a really good example of creative bystander intervention. So I would love to hear your creative bystander intervention story. Yeah, so this is a story that uh, a, st a student had shared with me and shared with the class and had said it was okay to continue to share. And in our programming, we focus on de-escalation and safety and creativity. So when people recognize that there's a harmful situation unfolding, reading the red flags, if you will, to recognize that mm, what's happening is, is not cool, it's uncomfortable and, and we need to intervene. And so what had happened was they were at a party 
and there was a young man who was behaving in a very predatory and aggressive way towards uh, a woman who was at the party, uh, who was highly intoxicated. He was pushing shots and she was, you know, essentially passing out on a sofa and he kept getting closer and closer in her personal space. It was very obvious um, that the attention was unwanted and most importantly that she was unsafe because she was so intoxicated. She really needed water, food, and to sleep it off, not to be aggressively pursued by this male. So the young men recognized the harmful situation and they acted as a group and played what they called the bro card by going up to him and saying, hey, it looks like your beer is empty. We're just going to the kitchen to get a nice cold brew. Do you wanna come with us? And while they did that, their female friends um, got the young girl home in a cab. And when he returned, she was gone and they were able to act in that stealth activated bystander way where the harmful situation was prevented and there was you know, no escalation of harm. And you know, they went on partying and he, he was confused and know where she went. Um, yeah, and, and I think one of the things that's interesting too is, um, you know, sometimes when I tell or share that story, students will say, you know, that's great and it's excellent, but I wish they also would have really had a conversation with him about why his behavior was harmful. And while I appreciate that, um, you know, maybe that's for another day. And that's part of, of the multitude of interventions that we can have as bystanders. Um, we can't do all things all the time. And the key thing there was that uh, this person was removed from harm. And they felt very proud of that. I love that. And I love Brocard. I think that, you know, as women, sometimes, I don't know, I sometimes feel like as women, like we don't have as big of an impact sometimes intervening when men don't respect women. And I think that's one of the reasons why men can use their privilege and their position as men to intervene in some really powerful ways. I think yes. that um, that actually relates so much to the next story on my list, which is about a time when um, a guy that I know said something really gross to another guy that I knew. And I knew that this guy like wouldn't have heard me if I said anything um, and felt like I had just wished like another guy had had intervened and said something. So, yeah, I think there's there's so much, you know, there's so many different ways all of us can intervene and get involved. And I think that um, in some of these situations that like broke heart is so important. Yes. And, and again, the research tells us that men tend to overestimate the support that other men have for sexist uh, attitudes and behaviors. And that serves to self-silence them. We know that men feel a lot of pressure to conform to expectations of masculinity. And we also know that most men are good guys and most men do not perpetrate harmful behavior. So part of our approach with the Bystander Initiative is to really mm -hmm. enable our entire campus community to take meaningful ownership of preventing and addressing sexual violence. And men have a critical role to play in this regard because they do have the ability to influence their peers, to model uh, a progressive, um, way of, of addressing the issue and making sure that they're modeling a masculinity that does not support toxic or harmful behavior towards women. Um, and that's really, really critical. So we're very proud of the men who are taking that ownership and they're involved in our program and their leadership is, is needed and necessary. 
I love that. And I do think it is about community responsibility, right? Like it's about knowing that the people in your community will have your back and that we can all share that responsibility because having to do these things alone is, um, it's too much. And I think that a lot of us think like, yeah, I care about this. I'm always going to be the one to intervene. I'm always going to do the things. And like, that's just easier to do and, you know, to care about if we know that other people will also take that up. Yes, um, absolutely. So yeah, I was going to say, we we emphasize that the best interventions are those interventions we do with others, that there is safety in numbers. And that creative story that I shared was a highlight of that. You know, one individual could not have had that positive outcome, but because they worked together, they were able to effectively diffuse the situation. And when we think of those harmful comments, again, that role modeling for other men that they won't accept this and that they will model a culture that says, no, that's not cool. It's not in my presence, not around me. I don't support that is very, very important. Um, so for sure, for too long, we have tended to think about sexual violence as a woman's issue. And one of the goals of our program is for everyone to understand that the only way we will meaningfully address it is for everyone within our campus to see themselves as important stakeholders in the prevention of sexual violence. And this again requires all of us to really get involved, to be proactive, to create a culture where we don't um, enable or support the types of behavior that manifests um, when we don't check the things like the everyday comments, like you just mentioned. Um, those things need to be checked and it needs to be clearly communicated that that's not okay and we don't support those attitudes and behaviors. Yeah, 100%. So that story I was going to tell was the time that I was at a meeting with a bunch of folks to do some like activist work. And we were all just kind of like, you know, shooting the shit before the meeting started. And we were kind of like chatting about, um, you know, some you know, I can't even remember what the conversation was about. It was about like how somebody had been like doing some reorganizing in their home or something. And this guy had said like, yeah, I would never let my partner organize my home for me because I'm not a pussy. And it just like the conversation just died. Like it was so awkward because he had called this other man a pussy for letting like his partner participate in like setting up his home or something. And, and, you know, and so the conversation absolutely died. Nobody said anything. And at the time, like, I was just really frustrated because I was like, you know, I could say something, but I don't think that this man will, like, take in anything that I'm saying about it. Like, I don't think it will have an impact. And I was also annoyed because I was like, I feel like, you know, there's so many guys here that could just be like, hey, man, that's not funny. Or like, that's not cool. Like, it doesn't always have to be like this big intervention, right? Like, we don't have to sit down and have this massive conversation about it. But even like, you know, like a funny look or like anything could have impacted that situation positively. And it was just one of the times in my life when I was like, wow, the community responsibility around like these sexist comments, right, that harm women and men, like it doesn't just harm women, it also harms men. But the community responsibility just didn't feel like it was there in that moment. Um, right. And that reminds Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's also just an example of, yeah, like a time when these kinds of things do harm men, right? Absolutely. Like it's not just, it's not just harming women. It's also harming men in our community. Absolutely. And that's, you know, part of the harm of that narrow definition of masculinity, that it really limits men from having fuller, more dynamic relational lives. That's part of what our program really problematizes, the narrow ideas around masculinity that are so harmful for men. But also, uh, I think it's really important to think about um, the 
plethora of opportunities and ways of intervening in those everyday harmful behaviors. Because many people, a great barrier to intervention is the sense that I have to be direct and I have to call this person out. And because much of this harmful behavior is occurring within our known peer cultures, that's an additional barrier to intervention that we might harm the relationship we have with this person. And so many of us self-silence, we don't object, we don't communicate our uh, lack of support for these types of ideas or behaviors or attitudes. And one of the things we like to emphasize in our programming is intervention can be like a really well-placed eye roll. It can be like a <clears throat> really dude, or, uh, you know, is it 1950? You know, that kind of a comment can have a powerful communicative effect on the group to say like, not cool. And, and sometimes that is all that's needed, you know, to just signal your lack of support and then others feel more empowered to do the same as well. And to really show the person that that's an antiquated attitude, it's a harmful attitude. And that doesn't mean we can't be friends anymore. We just want you to really reflect on perhaps how problematic that framing is of, of gender roles. I love that you said it doesn't mean we can't be friends anymore because I think that's so important. Like we don't have to like sever our social connections just because somebody has said something we don't like. Um, and sometimes we might feel that that's what we want to do. And that's also okay. I don't want to like invalidate that. But I also think, you know, we have this fear that when we label something that someone we know has done as wrong, then we can't be friends with them anymore. And I think there's actually so many nuanced ways to be friends with people who have done something that we don't like and to continue that friendship and be that positive influence. And I'm just going to like really quickly throw back to our episode with Robin from our previous season. Um, and so if you're interested in thinking through that like accountability piece, check that episode out because it was so good um, and has a lot of info about the like, how do you stay friends with somebody when they're doing shit that's harmful, right? So um, yeah. So and, and again, we, when we think about strategies, sometimes if someone is in a very public meeting and someone has said something and we want to maintain that relationship, um, and but we want them to also recognize the harm and what has been said. It may be more appropriate to make an appointment and say, you know, I'd like to have a follow-up conversation. And we know power differentials can also have a profound impact on our ability to really ask someone to consider a comment that was harmful. Um, if the person is in a position of authority, we might think, oh, there's no way I could possibly say something. Um, but again, we really want to create a culture uh, and cultural norms around being able to voice our concern in a way that's respectful, in a way that causes someone to really consider the harm of what's happened in order to create more inclusive and dynamic learning uh, work environments. That respect piece is so critical. And if we don't check harmful behavior, then we are not creating the thriving communities where we will all do better. Um, so yeah, I think it's really, really important for us to think about how do we have an effective intervention and do so in a way that people don't become defensive. We often emphasize that shame is not effective. It's not a way that people change. Uh, we recommend, for example, appealing to their self-concept. Perhaps they think of themselves as, you know, obviously a good person. And so a really effective intervention is if someone says something harmful, perhaps racist, sexist, we might say something like, I'm really surprised to hear you say that. I've always thought of you as a fair person. And, you know, it's, I'm really surprised that you think that way. And it just kind of puts the 
uh, ball back in their court to consider, oh, wow, I don't want people to perceive me as, as harmful or unfair. Why would they say that? Right. And that invites the curiosity and the growth that we're trying to promote. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think you have a really great story about indirect bystander intervention, something that was not necessarily like a fulsome conversation or like getting right involved in a situation. Um, and I think you told me that it happened while you were at Hamilton, which I love. Um, so if you'd like to tell us that story, I would love to hear it. Yeah, so my daughter Ellie is like the biggest fan of Hamilton or, or she was for quite a period of time. And um, we were fortunate enough to secure tickets to go see the show in Detroit for my birthday present, which was really her present, but it was an amazing show. I really enjoyed it. And when we were leaving the show, there was, um, uh, a man and a woman who were involved in a very heated argument and it was escalating. And um, I became fearful for um, their safety in particular, uh, the safety of the woman. Uh, he was becoming more aggressive, more in her face and they were just really escalating. And I didn't know what to do. It was late. I was in an unfamiliar city. Um, as I mentioned, we were rather alone at the time when we first entered the parking lot. So what I did was we got into the car and I just turned on the car and shone the lights of the car at their direction. And then other people, they continued to argue and then other people were coming out of the theater and getting into their cars, but also noticing. And so they just kind of stood around. And what happened was the attention that they were getting from us created enough of a distraction that they became more self-aware and there was a cooling off effect that was happened. They became more self-referential and they just realized that, you know, whatever it was that they were arguing about, they certainly didn't want a public audience and they got cooler heads and eventually both got into separate vehicles and left. So I think that's a really powerful example of, you know, creativity, um, intervening from a distance safely and de-escalating and diffusion, diffusing a situation before there was the opportunity for escalating harm. And that's so important because the, the creativity, right? Like we don't all have the same ways of intervening. We don't all have the same like types of things that we're comfortable with. And so I think finding things that feel comfy for us and that work for us are so important. Um, yeah, like I just think that's a really great example of like a different type of thing that you can do. Yes, and there's no one size fits all bystander intervention strategy. We all have different capacities, different strengths, different personalities, and we all encounter so many different types of situations. So in our program, we really try to emphasize that you know, we can't tell you what to do, but we can give you tips to think through and ways that you can feel empowered and comfortable and to be proactive, to think about, okay, if I encounter this, or perhaps even think about a harmful situation that you left going, oh, why didn't I say this? I should have said that. And now you should, we hope, feel more empowered if you were to face a similar situation in the future, that you would know how to handle it and you would feel like you were able to communicate effectively and to do something that would address the harmful behavior. Yeah, I love that. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that you folks have been putting a lot of effort into is to make your programming more intersectional, to think about how 
bystander intervention, you know, is applied in situations that are related to sexual violence, but also might be related to like racism or homophobia or transphobia or ableism. Um, and that leads us into our last bystander story, um, which happened to me at New Year's. I don't know if it was this last New Year's or two New Year's ago, but it was a situation where we were on this like virtual New Year's Zoom call because it was, you know, the pandemic and um, and somebody on the call dropped the R word and I like waited and I was like, is anybody going to say anything about this? And no one did. So I just kind of said, that's not cool. Like, can we not? Um, and the guy was like, oh my God, yeah, I'm so sorry. Like, won't say that again. Um, you know, and I think it's just like, it's one of those things where, you know, we can highlight that the tools that we give you and the conversation we have in our bystander workshop is so much about sexual violence, but it doesn't just relate to sexual violence, right? Like it's a toolkit that you can use in so many different ways. Yes, absolutely. We know that bystander intervention is highly transferable to multiple domains of harm. And what we try to emphasize is that once you gain those skills, you can effectively intervene when you witness ableism, when you witness anti-Black racism, anti-Asian racism, um, sexism, transphobia, right? Um, and so again, while our programming is focused on the domain of sexual violence, we know that these skills are highly transferable. And I really like the case that you just shared or the scenario you just shared because it's those opportunities, as I was mentioning, those frequently occurring uh, harmful behaviors that some people are like, oh, it's not a big deal, it's just a joke. Um, but we know that it is harmful. And what we want to do is really create awareness about that harm, but also to give uh, bystanders the tools in those peer relational context to be able to say like, oh man, that's not cool. Um, and to communicate that we don't want that kind of harmful behavior in, in our friend groups, in our peer groups, with our colleagues. And that's actually, you know, some of the hardest time to intervene because we think, oh, am I not going to belong to this group anymore? Will anyone support me? Do I risk my friendship with this individual? So I think that's all really, really important. And I'd like to share that I have had friends who have said homophobic things or racist things. And um, one of my friends, his role modeled really effectively, like, dude, that's just not cool. Like, just don't do that around us or not in my home. Like, I really don't support those kinds of attitudes. And that's all that had to be said. And in the moment, the person kind of was like awkward and the, the subject was changed. But what was really awesome is in both of those instances, one was with racism and one was with homophobia, the person came back and said, you know, I, I really want to apologize for my behavior. I thought a lot about what you said and it, it's absolutely not cool. And, you know, thank you for, you know, just letting me know. And I love that, right? Because when we know better, we do better. And we want to yeah. give people the opportunity to grow. Oh, I love that. And I think too, like, just as we're closing out this conversation, I feel like it's important to highlight that like none of us are perfect. I've like used words or said things that were not great because, you know, these words that are harmful are so ingrained sometimes in our, in our like cultural language. Right. And so I've had experiences where my friends said like, Oh, actually like, that's not a great, 
a great phrase to say. And one, a really great example of that is the word crazy. Like, you know, that's something that's often tied to like mental health and wellness. And, and so that was something I said all the time when I went to grad school and I had a friend go like, Hey, you know, actually that's like not a great word to use. And so instead, you know, we've been saying that's so wild. Right. Or like, you know, or just, just describing it more accurately. Like that's so, that's so unbelievable. Or that was so, that was so difficult to deal with or, you know, whatever it is. And at the time, you know, when that happens, when people call you out, sometimes there's this moment of like, oh shit, like there's this feeling of like, I've really messed up, um, you know, but coming back around and being like, yes, okay, this was valuable. Like, thank you for giving me the opportunity to correct my language and to make like the people around me more comfortable. I think it's so important. And so I think like a, a flip side to this that maybe we'll chat about in a future episode is just like, how do we accept the, the call-outs and how do we accept the information that we receive about the stuff that we're doing. And I think I think that's really important too. And I, I just, I feel like this workshop is so valuable and I'm hoping folks are feeling a little bit peaked to like come and learn more about the tools that you are offering and providing. Thank you. And you know, that really reminds me of something we do talk about, which is none of us are at our best when we're embarrassed, right? When we're embarrassed, it brings it our worst. We tend to be defensive and reactionary. Um, being embarrassed is not a good feeling, but in that discomfort, there's a real opportunity for growth. And we're all works in progress. And when we recognize, oh, wow, I never realized I was being very unintentional around that, or we needed to be educated, we need to unlearn much of what many of us don't know can be harmful. So yes, it's important for us to just take that opportunity to soak it in and say, wow, I needed that check, or I'm, I'm glad someone educated me. So now that I, I no longer say things that are can be harmful. Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, so Frankie, tell us about the bystander workshop is being offered right now. Students can register right now to take a workshop. Yeah, we're so excited because the virtual programming has been a great success. The feedback we've gotten from our campus community has been so overwhelmingly positive. And uh, we have an amazing group of students who are dedicated and passionate about our programming. You can register through My Success, uh, the University of Windsor's experiential learning portal. And we have, um, I believe, seven workshops a week. So there's a lot of options. And you can select the workshop that best suits your own schedule. It's best to come with friends. Um, and it's also a cool way to meet others within our campus community. Right now, as we know, many of us are navigating virtual lives and there's not that many opportunities to meet people from other programs and things of that nature. Um, I always say our, our workshops are best when we're in community and we're creating that kind of connection. So yeah, we're thrilled and uh, excited to say that they're filling up. So if you're interested in attending, please register sooner rather than later because I'm excited to say that they're filling up and wait lists are occurring. So yes, I encourage everyone who's interested to uh, register as soon as possible. That is so cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing some bystander stories with me today, Frankie. I'm so excited to you know be sharing the news of the bystander workshop with all of our new incoming students and i'm just like happy to always chat about this topic and i hope we'll have you back on our podcast in the future wonderful thank you so much for the invite it's always lovely to talk to you <laughs> So 
So that was Dr. Frankie Cachone from the Bystander Initiative. And like she said, you can register today for a bystander workshop on my success, which is success.uwindsor.ca. And remember that if you need support, you can reach out to us at svsupport at uwindsor.ca, or you can check out our website, uwindsor.ca slash prevent dash resist dash support. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to like and subscribe and check out our episode description for all of the links to the things we chatted about today. Take care, folks.